breath in, let it out, and just settle into all the love, all the joy, all the divine essence of source in the now. Namaste. Namaste. So, John and I have, have kind of loosely talked about how we were going to present today, and we decided that we were going to banter off of each other, and I get to go first. And I'm, I'm trying to really keep myself from drawing parallels to Cuba getting the Pope and us getting Dr. John Waterhouse, but I won't go there. <laughs> it's just so tempting. It really is. So this morning, uh, it was this morning, we were chatting, we were with really profound stuff, the state of consciousness, the state of the organization, talking about other ministers. We weren't, we weren't, you know, what's the term? Gossiping, right? We were, we were actually offering just constructive feedback. So, but during the course of the conversation this morning, Dr. John says, wow, you have a wonderful life. You have a wonderful life. You have a loving spouse, a beautiful home, and a great congregation. And what I realized in the moment of that is that, yes, that's great. That's true. I really do. However, that is not my story. That is not my story. All of those things are the effects of my story. They are chapters within the theme of the book, the story that is me. And that chapter, that theme, happens to be how I work with source energy, how I allow myself to maintain myself in alignment with pure presence as often as I can. Sometimes I do a great job. Sometimes, yeah, I have to reel myself in and remind me that I have work to do. Remind myself I have work to do. You know, my original story, if we were to go back several chapters, it was not about the minister at a center, center and, and having a loving spouse in a beautiful home. It was about a struggling 22-year-old that was addicted to drugs and in an abusive relationship. And somewhere along the way, I found this teaching. I actually found a Creative Thought magazine for those that can go way back now and found it just purely by coincidence. You know how that works. And it changed my life. It changed my life. And since that time, it's for me, it has not been about changing the external world. It has not been about trying to achieve this goal or that goal. It is about, has always been about the theme of my story, strengthening my alignment with source. Always honoring that wherever I am, no matter what is going on in my external experience, the end result is always going to be how I am living my divinity. How I am allowing that expression of source that I am to come forward. And in that expression, knowing that I've reached that pure thought energy, that pure vibration of source, then I can relax and know that the rest of the world, this universe of stuff that we talk about all the time, is going to begin resonating with me, become more active in pursuing me so that I don't have to pursue it. Isn't that a nice change of pace? Not having to get the universe to do anything for you other than be in alignment. There's the great passage from scripture, scripture, we've been hearing about it for eons. When ye so pray, 
whatever you desire, believe. What's the word? Believe that you have it. And it is that belief, that belief, that knowing like you know, like you know, which takes you into that resonating field of consciousness, which allows the universe to be, the physical universe to be attracted to you. Even in our own Science of Mind textbook, Holmes says we have to believe as if. We have to know as if. And he gets he gives a, like a whole paragraph on the as if, saying that's the key. Because we have to know like we know like we know. We have to believe as if it's already true. We have to act as if it's already done. We have to think as if. No matter what is going on in the external world, our faith cannot be waived. That's where we want to be. And that is the story that we want to create. That's the story that we want to create. So I'm going to ask Dr. John to join us now. And, and he's going to tap in. Do we do this like wrestling? Or we, we... <laughs> we, we can do it any way we want. <laughs> oh, I want to share something exciting. Uh, I, I just <coughs> recently was introduced to a young man named Isaac Caldiero. Anybody ever heard of him? Hmm. He's a, he's a, a professional uh, mountain climber. He, he, he does, does mountain climbing uh, up, up, you know, faces of mountains. He's, uh, he's got this uh, wonderful ability to do that. Can you imagine all the money that's in mountain climbing? So he lives, he, most, most of his adult life, he's lived in his car. He has a girlfriend. When he got a girlfriend, they bought an old uh, 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 school bus and kind of turned it into a, a residence that they could live in. But they found that that was actually too expensive, so they went back into the Subaru. But uh, Alex found, or Isaac found something uh, new and interesting in his life. He, uh, uh, he found this competition called American Ninja Warrior. You ever heard of it? It was on last night. It's been on for seven seasons, and they've never had anyone win the whole shebang. The, the final thing is after they do all these regional competitions, they bring the best of the people together and they go through four levels of courses to, to actually, and it's crazy. It's nuts. They have them do things like they have these, uh, these, these boards up in the air and you have to hold on to it with your hands and your feet and move all, as they're swinging in the air and all these crazy things. Well, anyone that saw it on TV last night, though, that they finally had someone get through all four levels and win $1 million. And it was Isaac Caldero. And one thing that really excites me about it is that uh, we have a feature story in Science of Mind magazine about Isaac in our November issue. So you've got to get that November issue of Science of Mind and read about this guy. He's amazing. He says that when he's on the mountain, he becomes one with the mountain. And when he's on these courses, he becomes one with the obstacle course. Wouldn't it be good of us as students of the science of mind to become one with the things that are in our lives, even the obstacles, even the obstacles. When, when Isaac first showed up on this show, he walked in with this big, he, had, he has long hair and a beard, and he, he wore this uh, striped coat, and everyone suddenly started calling him Jesus. 
But actually, it wasn't Jesus. Jesus, I mean, I've seen, you've seen the photographs of Jesus. They're all in a white <laughs> robe. The one that wore the strife robe was Joseph, remember? Think about Joseph's story. His father's favorite, jealous, uh, his brothers were jealous of him, so they took him away, took off his coat of many colors, threw him in a pit, sold him to uh, people uh, uh, from other places, so they carried him away, took his coat, uh, poured blood on it, took it back to his father and said, look, uh, some wild animal killed Joseph. Now, that's a story. A story of someone that, you know, obviously was the victim and was abused and all that. But what he did, of course, was Joseph didn't live that way. He went off to Egypt and worked his way uh, up to the point where he was an advisor to the Pharaoh. So much so that he was entrusted more than anyone by the Pharaoh because he could interpret the Pharaoh's dreams and was, was entrusted with, with much, and at some point was, was directed by the Pharaoh to go be the, uh, the governor of the, the land where his family lived. Now, that's, that didn't have to happen. If Joseph had held on to the idea that he was abused and that and this was, he was done wrong and all those things, that would have been the end of his story, but he obviously created a different story. You can do the same thing with any historical character. You can look, anybody that's worth knowing has a small story of how life was hard, how life wasn't supporting them. But then there's some other way that you can perceive their story and see their greatness. You know, they're uh, uh, picking on politicians are obviously in in the news a lot these days, especially the, the couple of dozen that are running for president. And you'll see that some of them, they complain, well, they ran for office and they didn't get elected. So maybe they're not up to the task of being president. Yeah, you want to ask Abraham Lincoln about that? The man lost, incessantly lost elections until he got elected to the, to the presidency. And at the point that he went into his, his convention, the year that he was nominated by his, by his party, the Republican Party, which was a very different party in those days, um, he, was, he was, had the fourth number of delegates, fourth highest number. De- three Republicans had more delegates to become president or become the nominee of the party than he did. And yet he was the one that was nominated. He was the one that was elected. He was the one that changed the fabric of our country. Which story you want to go with? The little one or the big one? So if these people that we know, these people that we hold up as historical, uh, that we hold up and see as great, great people in the history of the human experience, can go from difficulties from a small story into something extraordinary, something bigger than life, what can we do? How could we apply that same understanding of life and not buy into the little story, not buy into the problems or the limitations or perceived limitations or anything else? How could we restructure our thinking of our own lives to create something extraordinary out of what otherwise might look mundane or somehow limiting? How can we do that? Well, the one thing that we have to start with is not talk about our lives as though they are limited. Not seeing the, the conditions of our lives as anything less than perfect, the perfect conditions to take us where we're going to go. That's a gift. We have to see the presence of the divine in the hard stuff of life. We have to see through the perception that somehow this is wrong or bad. And then start telling that, stop telling that story to people about how we've been done wrong. I had, uh, I went to Denver last week. I go there one week a month uh, in my work as president of the organization. And somewhere along the way, 
uh, my computer was stolen out of my backpack. And everyone goes, ooh, because that means there's a, lot, there's a lot of work ahead for you when that happens. And I kept walking around the office in, in uh, Denver in Golden saying, my computer was stolen. My computer was stolen. My computer. I, I actually did my president's call on Wednesday, and my wife said eight times I said on that call that I didn't have my computer. Well, I have a computer. I went out and bought it. I paid very good money for it. And I'm having a heck of a time getting all my files back in it. Why would that be? Because I'm complaining. Because I'm finding this a limitation. So what does life give me when I live in a limitation? It gives me a limiting experience. So if you're ever wondering why things aren't working out, it's you. And I'm not blaming you. I'm actually empowering you to know that your life is exactly what you're thinking. So if you find yourself not being strong enough, clear enough, old enough, whatever, yes, life will gladly provide you with those circumstances. As long as you want to play that limiting game, it will, it will limit you. It's, it's elegant how well it does that. And if you want to say no, that is not the essence of who I am. I am something greater than this. I can learn from this. I can take this challenging situation and I can turn it into something amazing. Well, what would that be? I haven't a clue. And that's the interesting thing about this transition from the small story to the big one is you have to, you have to uh, transcend that idea that you don't know and that's a reason not to do it. Of course you don't know. How could you know? You have to be open to it. You have to allow it to unfold before you. Everything that I've ever been afraid of was in the future. And mostly me not knowing what was coming. And I can, I can chart it. Every th single thing I was ever afraid of. So I, I've come to the conclusion that we can only be afraid of the future. We can't be afraid of the past. We can't even be afraid of the present. We're afraid of what's going to happen in the future. The, the uh, pretty crass uh, example I give of that is if I had a box here that had a, a poisonous snake in it and I dumped it out on the floor, these beautiful ladies close to here would probably have some legitimate fear. What would they be afraid of? Being bitten by a venomous snake, right? Perhaps, though, if someone in the room were bitten by the venomous snake, would they be afraid of being bitten by a venomous snake? No, they would be afraid of dying. All in the future. All beyond what was happening right then. So if you catch yourself being afraid, recognize that that's something about an unknown of the future. And you're projecting into it this problem. This thing could happen. This, this thing could go this way. It could really be a problem. That's what we get when we're afraid. But if we say, okay, I don't know the answer to this, but I know there is an answer, and I know that that answer will benefit me in my life and all those around me, then you'll get that kind of, of an outplay. That's what will outpicture in your life. And that's what will serve you. The other is a is a legitimate path. Being afraid, creating problems, uh, uh, exacerbating situations with our thinking, we are very good at that. And it's a spiritual path, so I don't take it away from you if you want to go in that direction. But if you do, I don't know why. There's got to be a better a better way to do this. You want to jump back in here and say something? I will. Okay. Don't tag team that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I loved <laughs> Nice chair. In there. Hi. You know, for us that are vertically challenged. Um, so, your story is, is yeah, you got to stop telling it. But the real reality is, 
a lot of people will go, of course, well, how do I stop doing that? Because that's all I seem to hear. It's all that happened yesterday or all that I need to worry about tomorrow. And the, the challenge here, the opportunity here, is to recognize is that the story that we keep hearing in our head is the story that we keep telling to as many people that will listen over and over and over again as possible. And so it is not that it's a story that didn't occur. It very well may be a true story, something that happened in the past, or how someone wasn't as pleasant or as divine we would, as we would like them to be. But something along the way, we can't change the past. But what we can do is make the conscious decision to begin telling another story. Now, John mentioned fear. And from old religious science days, right, those of us that have been around for a while, we've, we know how Holmes defines fear. False evidence appearing real, right? Now, for us that we're, we're going to take it up a notch and we're going to talk about, talk about it a little bit in today's vernacular, and I like to call, meaning the law, working with the law of attraction, I like to call fear frequency emitting at rock bottom. Okay? And rock bottom is a hyphenated word, just so you know. <laughs> I looked it up. So the reality is going to be this. How do you change that frequency? Because it is the frequency that you are, you are projecting, that emotion that you are embodying, which is saying to the universe, bring it on, this is what I want. Give me more of it. So we have to begin telling this different story. And the story that I began telling myself years ago, in the midst of coming out of drug addiction, leaving uh, an abusive relationship, not having any money to speak of, and yes, no, no relationship at that time, the story that I began telling myself was, I am a powerful expression of God. That's the story I told. And it took me a while to begin believing that story because that old tape kept playing in my head. But over time, because I refused to allow myself to believe anything else, I refused to allow myself to emit anything else, that story began to take hold. That story began, began to recondition what was playing within my mind. And so I always like to say, well, yeah, you know, that power that I am was demonstrating in who I was. And all that mess that was created, that's a demonstration of some fantastic, powerful ability. Let me tell you, because it was a big old mess. That was a lot of power. So all I had to do was turn it around in how I was utilizing that power and part that inner power and part of that was to begin retelling my story to begin saying well you know it is okay for me it is okay for me to let go of the past it is okay for me somebody leaned on the light it is okay for me to allow myself to expect more not from life but from me. It is okay for me to focus all of my consciousness, all of my energy, all of my treatment work on one thing. And that one thing 
is being a more vibrant, powerful expression of source energy. And then allowing everything else to effortlessly follow. To effortlessly follow. Because in this teaching, people get confused. This is not a prosperity teaching. How's that grab you? This is not a prosperity teaching. This is not a teaching for just healing an illness or demonstrating the perfect mate. This is a teaching about evolving the power of the universe that you are. This is a teaching about knowing that as the universe creates, you create. This is a teaching about being aware that when you, you speak your word in perfect alignment with source, knowing, absolutely knowing, that it will manifest, you know what happens? It manifests. That's what happens. So we want to move into that awareness that that's what is what our story is. Our story is not about the struggles. It's not about the triumphs. It's about allowing ourselves to be that expression of God, that expression of source that creates in harmony with all of life, that allows our word to be that high-frequency vibration. And all fear is dissolved. All fear is dissolved. Can you do this? I think it's rhetorical. Can you do this? Yes, yes of course you can. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of a story that fits perfectly into this conversation. Um, for five years, I engaged in this process called integration, where we brought two... Uh, very similar yet very uh, structurally different organizations into one. And we called it Centers for Spiritual Living. It took us five years of negotiating to make it happen, to make it happen well. We looked at every element, a group of us called the design team. We looked at everything and we delved deeply into it. And I had the great honor of being a part of that. Actually, I was the uh, integration coordinator for United Centers for Spiritual Living. And it was a, a great journey, and we succeeded, and all the delegates from both organizations agreed, and we, we merged together into one organization. And we elected officers, and I was elected president of the organization. And that was four years ago this coming uh, February. And it's been a fascinating run because what we also did was we elected leadership, a leadership council uh, of people that were not part of the design team. The only two people that had been, that were elected, that were part of the design team were Dr. Dr. Ken Gordon, who is a spiritual leader, and me as president. Everybody else was new. And when we got together, there wasn't a lot of agreement about what direction to go in and how to do this. Several of them spoke very directly about how they didn't like this design that we had come up with and they wanted to change it. And one of the things that got targeted real quick was, we should get rid of this president's position. So for three and a half years, I've been listening to how we really should get rid of the, this uh, president's position. And it was uh, an interesting run because I'm feeling like I have work to do. I'm, I'm, I'm working more than full time. I'm totally engaged. I'm flying all over the country, working with groups. And, and I go into a meeting and they say, you know, we really got to get rid of this president's position. Well, uh, even though some of the, of the most adamant people left the council, before their terms were up, they left because they were frustrated that I was still there and other things. I, I don't want to take complete responsibility for their leaving. But um, 
the idea of restructuring wouldn't go away. Wouldn't go away. Even when I was reelected, and, and, and some people on the inside called it a landslide, they said, still, we don't need this position. So they went to work to look at how we could do it a little different. Didn't get very far with that, but decided to bring it to a vote of the delegates last year in, in Las Vegas. And I got up and spoke against it because I didn't. There, there were no details. We didn't know where they were going. And sure enough, I'm sure I had some fear going on because I knew that one of the things that would happen is there wouldn't be a position. Uh, so that vote was amended, or that, yeah, that vote was amended, and the amendment was, you got to show us delegates what you're planning before we'll agree to it. And I thought, well, that's fair. So they did. We, we, we structured this thing, went out, uh, brought people from all over the community uh, of the organization, all, all over to be part of these discussion groups to see where we should go. Well, guess what? They decided that they, we don't need a president. So what do they call that? Reading the writing on the wall? I asked myself an important question. Why do you want to be president? Why are you the president of this organization? And the answer came easily and quickly. That I've had a dream for 20 years for these two organizations to come back together. Actually longer, more like 30 years. And we did it. And I became president to help nurture and foster that into something that was solid, that would last, at least for a while, because you never know what it, where every, anything is. And you know what? There was upset and fussing at the beginning of our being together, but it all seems to be gone. We're one organization. So we've gotten over that hump in, in these first four years. So if that's why I did it, why do I need to be president? And it calmed me right down. So what is emerging and what's going to happen the first Wednesday, no, I'm sorry, the first Monday in October is that all those delegates from, from Las Vegas are going to vote online for this new design, which includes not having a president. However, the groups that worked on this came up with the idea that there's still a need, even though a number of the things that I've been responsible for now fall to other people, the whole area of working with our ministers and practitioners and what's called ecclesiastics is still something that we, we need someone to be looking at that. So what they've called this is a halftime position. Okay, so... I'm going to not argue with this. I'm not going to see fault in it. I'm going to say, fine, I'll do this half time. And my salary was cut in half. And I'm thinking, well, I'll have to figure something else out around that. So one of the things that uh, in our community, we have a practitioner who is married to a world-class public speaker. Even though you may not know Brian Biro, he's extraordinary and does great work in the world. He was a senior vice president with Tony Robbins 20 years ago and left there to start his own work, and, and speaks all over the world, and ha is great at it. So I called him. I said, I want to have a conversation with you about how you do that. He said, great, Monday morning, 9 o'clock, I'll be at your office. Whoa. And he did. He came to my office the next Monday. We met, and he laid out this plan. And he said, you want to, you want to speak publicly? You want to go into corporations and do, uh, do th this kind of work? Uh, I said, I believe that I could do this. He says, well, I want you to know that I've worked with a number of people bringing them into this work, and you're the most qualified I've ever met. 
You've, you're, you, I, I have a degree in organizational psychology, PhD in organizational psychology. I've been the president of an international uh, new thought move, uh, organization. I, I, I look good on paper. And he says, and you're an excellent speaker, and, and you can do this. And he started, I know we're running out of time, but I want to finish this up for you and let you know that in that conversation, he asked some really compelling questions. One was, how much do you think you should make for a 45-minute presentation? And I looked at him like deer in the headlights. He said, well, let me tell you that right now you start between five dollars and $10,000 uh, an appearance. And he says, what I want you to promise me is to do what I do, and that is to never do more than seven of those in a month. Because seven's your max. Do a quick calculation on that. That in, in two months at the very most, I could replace that salary that I, that I would be losing. Uh-huh. He, he also said that in his work, he has never, ever called a company and asked them to speak. He's never done that. They've always come to him. And he said, that's going to be true for you, too, because I'm going to introduce you to the 25 biggest speakers, bureaus, and agencies in this country. And they're going to be asking you to come do things. But you don't do more than seven a month. And I'm thinking, this is better. <laughs> And when he, he asked me, what is the message that you would want to bring? I said, I would want to bring the teachings of science of mind in a secular way into the lives of people that know nothing about how mind works and show them that by their attitude and their, their intention that they are creating their experience. And he said, good, that'll be your work. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. yeah. And I... I I, I'm all, I also have another project that I won't, won't go deeply into, but uh, I, I have this compelling need uh, to write a screenplay, and I've, I've written about half of it. And it's the same kind of story, talking about how, by knowing the truth of who we are, we can create our lives. And I actually have already had one meeting with a top executive of a major Hollywood studio, and they are very interested. So what can we do in our lives? If we think what we're doing right now is the most we can do, then we're limiting ourselves right there. Even if we think we like what we're doing. If something kind of throws a curve into it and it looks different than you thought it was going to look, here's what you can do. You can make it better than you even knew about. That's life calling you to, to, to rise up into the fullness of who you are. And I am not special. I am not different than anyone in this room. So whatever I'm doing in my life, you can do and you can do better. So I charge you all to make your life work far beyond what you thought you could do. Live in the possibility of your life and you will create something much greater than you have ever imagined. And you too will be going, that's better. <laughs> Thank you. God bless you. I love the charge. Love that you've been charged to go out and do something better. Thank you. And I'm going to fill you in on whatever you go out and choose to do. Let it begin from within. Let your story build from that point of awareness that your desire, your goal, your dream is actually being driven by the universe, by source, wanting to do more through you in this moment of now. Because that is your story. This, you came to this journey in order to fulfill the best possible expression of source that you can be. 
that is your story. And when you let that drive you, when you let that drive you, as opposed to all the stuff out here, what you're going to find is that it's better. <coughs> you're going to find that it's way, way better. So, with that said, what I want you to do for the week, for your homework, I'll give you homework, I like to give homework, okay, is just say for yourself every day, look in the mirror every day, and affirm that I am the perfect expression of source, always expanding into something new and better every day. And let that be the theme of your story. And so ends our lesson. Namaste. Namaste. All right. If you would please say the tithing affirmation with me. Infinite mind. Infinite mind. In as and through me. In as and through me. Blesses and multiplies my tithe. Blesses and multiplies my tithe. It does its good and perfect work. It does its good and perfect work. And returns to me. And returns to me. Multiplied abundantly. Multiplied abundantly. And if the 